0: All right, Romans chapter 1, verse 18 through 32, uh, turn there uh, in your Bibles. We'll also uh, be looking at part of Acts chapter 9 if you want to kind of bookmark that too. For some reason this morning. Anyway, so last week we began to look at the book of Romans. Uh, One of our goals as we journey through the book of Romans is we want to hear from God. And we want to hear from God in the way, think of it this way, we talked about it a little bit last week, but think of it this way. You're trapped in a cave, okay? You're trapped in a cave, and you're listening for someone to come who's coming to rescue you. Listening for some digging or some drilling or some shouting or whatever. And, and that's the way we want to listen for God when we read His Word. With this desperation, like God has something to say to us, and we need to hear it. Don't just get to hear it or might like what we hear, but we we need desperately to hear what God is saying to us. So uh, we want to listen that way. So that's one of our goals. And then as we hear God, we want it to change us. We want to dramatically be changed so that we think and we act and we interact with people differently because of what we hear from God. All right, so I think it's important to review a little bit Uh, last week, uh, so we're all in the same sheet of music as we launch into the second part of chapter 1 today. So let's review briefly. So last week, we talked about the Apostle Paul. When he wrote Romans, he described himself as a servant of Christ Jesus. So this is who he is, right? He's a servant of Christ Jesus. And he said that he's called to be an apostle and is set apart for the gospel, and so this is Paul's purpose. Now, if you think, wow, Paul's kind of, you know, full of himself, he's an apostle. Well, okay, you gotta read all of his writings, though. Remember, he described himself at one time as the least of all the believers, because he understood who he was compared to who he was in Christ. And even we we need to be reminded of this about 24 25 years before Paul wrote the book of Romans his name was Saul and Saul was a very 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 bad person think of like the top 10 bad people in the world Paul Saul was probably would probably be on this list this is what in acts chapter 9 it says about Saul but Saul still breathing threats and murder Against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found anyone belonging to the way, any Christians, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So Saul, a person with a murderous heart, met Jesus, was transformed by the gospel, filled with the Holy Spirit, and became Paul a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel. So this is who the writer is in very brief of the the book of Romans. So what did he say in verse seven uh, 1 through 17? Let me um, summarize. Paul introduces the gospel. He doesn't paint the whole picture, but he introduces the good news of Jesus Christ. He says the gospel is concerning Jesus, and the gospel message has the power to save. In verses 16 and 17, it says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, The righteous shall live by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. But what does that faith Paul is talking about look like? So we talked about last week four aspects of faith. Believing faith. We didn't believe in Jesus, and now we do. We were trying to rescue ourselves, but now we know that we need Jesus to rescue us. So believing faith, trusting faith. We trust Jesus with our day-to-day lives. And he shows us, little by little, what he's doing in our lives. When we have trusting faith, we relinquish control of our lives to Jesus. Does anybody have control issues in the room? Okay. And everyone else has a control issue because they don't want the pastor to control whether they raise their hand or not. You see what I did there? Okay. So you all have control issues as bad as I do. All right, so there's trusting faith. So believing, trusting faith, Number three, faithful faith. We're made righteous by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And then we simply follow Jesus because that's what we get to do as His children. Faithful faith. And finally, we talked about dangerous faith. The righteous, the believing, trusting, faithful followers of Jesus live, right? The righteous live by faith. And so dangerous faith, Is when we step out of our controlled and comfortable environments and we step into the darkness and the brokenness of humanity. So, Paul begins his letter by telling us that the righteous, the followers of Jesus who have a believing, trusting, and faithful faith live by that faith. And their faith is a danger, but not a danger to any people, but dangerous faith, danger to evil, to malice and strife and hatred and foolishness and brokenness, despair, loneliness, addiction, and depression. That is what dangerous faith is a danger to. So that was last week. In today's passage, Romans chapter 1, verse 18 through 32, Paul makes the case For the importance of living life in a way that it's no longer about you. Living a life that is no longer about you. And so let's listen to what Paul says in these verses. I'm just going to read 18 through 32. Listen intently like you're listening for your rescuer coming to set you free from that cave. to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men Did you hear the voice of our rescuer? This week as you read Romans 1, uh, maybe again uh, take some time to journal what God is saying to you through his word and through the Holy Spirit. Uh, there's some journal a Rome, book of Roman journals in the lobby you want to grab one that would be awesome. There's still some left if. If there's none left and you still want one, let me know. We'll get get some more. But take some time to listen for the Lord to speak to you this week through Romans chapter 1 and go on to Romans chapter 2. We'll start that next week. So, in this passage, Paul tells us that God reveals himself to us through everything he made. He reveals his eternal power. There are over 100 billion galaxies in the universe and counting every every month or so it seems like there's more and more out there god's eternal power but also the human body 75 trillion cells all working together that's amazing if you ever wonder if there's a god just look at your hand God's eternal power. He also reveals His divine nature. The entire natural world bears witness to God through its beauty, its complexity, and its design. And then also Paul says, He revealed, God reveals His wrath against all ungodliness and the unrighteousness of humankind. Wrath is God's hatred of sin and His destruction of sin. And we should be thankful for God's wrath. Now wait, you may be thinking, Tim, why would we want to be thankful for God's wrath? Wrath seems so negative. Have you ever experienced the wrath of someone? The wrath of a boss? Or uh, the wrath of a boss? um, (laughs) Or a spouse, maybe, hopefully not. or, or, Or a parent, or maybe a child, or a boss? I had, I had a boss one time, oh man. Anyway. <laughs> I'm not bitter about that. But we can think about God's wrath and get the picture of an angry God destroying everything and everyone that is sinful. And that just doesn't seem to line up with Scripture verses like 1 John four sixteen, where it says, very simply, God is love. But what would God be like if he did not hate sin? What would we think of God if he looked at genocide, abortion, human trafficking, human slavery, and said, no big deal? Or even worse, oh, that's okay. But part of God's character is his wrath, his hatred of sin. And because that is part of his character, he has a plan to destroy sin. And here's part of his plan. In John chapter 3, verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish. In other words, whoever believes in him should not experience the wrath of God, but have eternal life. So Paul tells us that God reveals His eternal power, His divine nature, and His wrath against ungodliness and unrighteousness. And then he says, so they are without excuse. They are without excuse. No human, that includes all of us, has any valid excuse not to follow God. Verse 19 says, For what? can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. The phrase I learned in the military was, no excuse. And it usually had a comma and then the word sergeant after it. No excuse, sergeant! <laughs> See, we were trained for certain tasks and we were given tasks that we were trained for to do and sometimes they didn't get done. And the sergeant would say, Hey, why is that not done? And you'd be like, No excuse, sergeant! Because you had responsibility to get it done and you didn't get it done, and so you had no excuse. Have you ever been in a situation where you were completely at fault? You knew it, and your only response should have been no excuse. But you tried to come up with an excuse anyway. How about that last time you are stopped by a, a kind, loving, caring police officer? Careful now. I have one and, and another soon to be. All right? And in as my children and uh, Tara graduates on Friday. Ooh, yeah. Yeah. So next Sunday, we're going to pray for her as she launches into her new career. But But so you get pulled over. And the police officer's walking up, you know, and you're seeing in the rearview mirror, and you're being a good person, you keep your hands on the wheels right, and you roll your window down first, and they walk up and 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 you're the whole time they're walking up, you're trying to think of an excuse, aren't you? How can I get out of this speeding ticket or whatever? I asked Danny uh, for some of his favorite excuses people gave him when he would make a traffic stop. Uh, I'll give you three. Sir, why did you run through that stop sign? Well, officer, you see my brakes don't work. Car stopped pretty okay after you saw my lights. Ma'am, why are you not wearing your seatbelt? Well, officer, my dog ate my seatbelt. She probably had a lot of trouble in school. The dog always eating her homework. Sir, why are you driving down a one-way street the wrong way? Well, officer, my GPS told me to. (laughs) We tend to make excuses when we want to justify our actions or when we want to escape the consequences of our actions. So in verse 18 through 32, Paul shows us all the excuses that are made to justify a life of not following God. Excuse number one, I do not follow God because I do not believe His truth is true. So this excuse leads to the truth being suppressed and the truth being exchanged for a lie. Excuse number two, I do not follow God because He has done nothing for me. This excuse leads to God being dishonored and unappreciated. Excuse number three, I do not follow God because he does not exist. This excuse leads to God not being acknowledged. And excuse number four, I do not follow God because I want to live life my way. And this excuse leads to the glory of the immortal God being exchanged for worthless idols. And it also leads to the creature being worshiped instead of the creator. And then Paul tells us. The world just gets completely out of control when we make excuses. Men and women exchange natural relations for those contrary to nature. People are filled with all manner of unrighteousness. Do you want to hear the list again? No. Oh, man. Okay, good. I don't want to say it all. I'll just say this. I love this one. I don't love it, but it like sums it up. Inventors of evil. Our excuses lead to a foolish, faithless, heartless, and ruthless world. Our amazing daughter, Naloma, daughter-in-law, Naloma, she uh, works for an organization called International Justice Mission. And their vision mission statement says, um, End slavery in our lifetime. What kind of world do we live in that has to have organizations that are focused on ending slavery. There should be no slavery. But we live in a foolish, faithless, heartless, and ruthless world. So, Paul says we're without excuse, but we make excuses anyway. So, how does God respond to our excuses? Well, in verse 24, it says, God releases us to pursue our own desires. Verse 24 says this specifically. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. And then in verse 28, God releases us to pursue our own plans. God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. But thankfully, there's more to the book of Romans than just verse 18 through Thirty-two, Because in the first part of chapter 1, we see that God continues to meet us where we're at. He continues to invite us into his family. This is why Paul was so excited to preach the gospel. So eager, it says, to preach the gospel. For it is the power of God for the salvation to everyone who believes. God is always ready for us to come to Him and say, no more excuses. No more excuses, God. When a person chooses to trade their excuses for real faith, they receive new life, they receive the Holy Spirit working in them and this begins a process of transformation we begin to pursue god and his plans instead of our own the lusts of the heart begin to be replaced by a pure pure heart and our debased minds begin to be replaced by godly wisdom so when we trade in our excuses for real faith in jesus the one who went to the cross to pay for our sins to receive the wrath of god When we trade in our excuses for real faith in Jesus, a transformation happens. We move from not believing to believing. We move from not trusting to trusting Jesus with our day-to-day lives. We move from not faithful to faithfully following Jesus. And when we trade our excuses for real faith and our faith becomes believing, trusting, and faithful, we become the right people. We become the people Paul was talking about when he wrote, the righteous shall live by faith. When we trade up excuses for real faith, that is when we begin to experience real life. About 25 years before Paul wrote the letter to the Romans, he had a murderous heart, right? We talked about that. And he was on his way to Damascus. He was going to hunt down Christians capture them, take them to Jerusalem for trial and execution. But on that road to Damascus, he met Jesus. He was physically blinded by his encounter with Jesus, and he was taken to Damascus, where for three days he would uh, be without food or water, and he could not see. This is what it says, what happened to Paul. Chapter 9 of Acts, verse 10. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. What a unpresuming sentence. There was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. And so Ananias was a believing, trusting, faithful follower of, of Jesus, Ananias was the right person. The righteous shall live by faith. And the Lord said to him, verse eleven: Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas, call uh, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him, so that he might regain his sight. The righteous shall live by faith. This was a big moment for Ananias. God had spoken to him in a vision and told him to go to this man who was blind and needed his sight returned, but also needed to meet Jesus. Because Paul was going to become a believing, trusting, faithful, dangerous follower of Jesus. And so what do you think Ananias said? Man, absolutely, Lord, I am on it. I am going to jump right, I'm going to go over there right now. I don't care what my schedule says, what my calendar says. It doesn't matter. I'm going right now, Lord. That's not what he did. He used that famous word, but he made excuses in order to not do what God had called him to do. But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in, at Jerusalem, and here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. Ananias' trust in Jesus was beginning to waver. And so his faithfulness to follow was also wavering. He was thinking about himself and so his faith was wavering would we agree our faith can also become focused on ourselves god what are you going to do to make my life easier today than yesterday lord i have all these big problems and i need you to work in them so i can be the me that i want to be so ananias the believing Somewhat trusting, sometimes faithful follower of Jesus wanted God to protect him from Saul. But God wanted Ananias to go to Saul. So Saul could meet Jesus and become Paul. Verse 15, But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. And so Ananias got it. And so he departed and he entered the house where Paul was and he spoke to Paul about Jesus and he prayed for Paul and Paul's eyes were open. The scales came off his eyes. He was filled with the Holy Spirit and he was baptized. When Ananias departed his comfort zone, and entered the house where the evil persecutor of the church was staying, his faith became dangerous. The right person, Ananias, the believing, trusting, faithful follower of Jesus, who had become the right person, had become now dangerous, because he was in the right place at the right time. When Ananias made his faith no longer about himself, he became dangerous to evil, to brokenness, and to despair. When he departed, when Ananias departed his safe space and stepped into the darkness and brokenness of humanity, the right person was now in the right place at the right time. Can you imagine what it must have been like for Ananias years later, to look back at that moment after, you know, Paul had written uh, the letters to the churches, Galatians and Ephesians and the book of Romans and so on, and, and he thought, you know, I was there. I was there when God removed the scales from Paul's eyes. I was there when Paul accepted Jesus into his life, surrendered his life to Jesus. I was there when Paul received the Holy Spirit. I was there when Paul was baptized. And just think how easy it would have been for him to miss that moment. That vision really wasn't from God. God surely wouldn't put me in a dangerous situation like going to the chief persecutor of the church and pray with him. And yet, Ananias went because. He's a believing, trusting, faithful follower of Jesus who wanted to be dangerous, who understood that his life was no longer about himself. The dangerous follower of Jesus, the right place and the right time is no longer about ourselves. Being at the right place at the right time is about someone else who desperately, desperately needs to know that God is for them and God is with them. In 1981, I learned a valuable lesson about life. I was not a believer yet. I was at a military school, air assault school. uh, But at this school, I learned that life is no longer about me. It so was the last day of the school. It was our final test. Our final test was a 10-mile road march in the dark with all our equipment, over 50 pounds, and you had to finish in two hours. Okay, that you can't. They called it a march, but you had to run <laughs> with all that stuff on. And so off we went into the, into the woods, into the dark, and we had to finish in two hours, or we failed the entire course. We went home without our, without our wings. And we had failed, so you wanted to finish, and so uh, a bunch of us finished uh, early, f- several minutes early, and and we were pretty full of ourselves, like high five, man, we made it, we gra- we're going to graduate, this is awesome. We just we're just kind of the men, you know, we're we're tough, we're rough, and all that stuff. And one of the instructors came over and said, "What are you guys still doing here?" I'm like, and you don't ever asked the sergeant questions, so you're trying to think, well, what are we supposed to be doing? He's saying, you know, this, this march is no longer about you. You finished the march, but you still have classmates that haven't finished. And so we're like, ah, we get it. And so we ran out into the dark so that we could come alongside our classmates and run with them and encourage them, come alongside them. It was awesome because everyone finished that day. And I think it was because that sergeant taught us that lesson. But the race, we cross that finish line. The race is no longer about us. If you are a believing, trusting, faithful follower of Jesus, you have crossed the line of salvation. God's wrath no longer applies to you. You have eternal life. Your real faith brings you real life. And your life is no longer about you. Now is the right time to be dangerous. Now is the right time to leave the safe space and run back into the darkness and brokenness of humanity and come alongside others who are desperately seeking help. And you have the solution. So, are you willing? Are you willing to live a life that is no longer about you? For the benefit of those who desperately need to know that God is for them and God is with them. Are you willing to be dangerous? Real faith brings real life and real life is no longer about you. Today, we are all in the right place. We are at latitude 41.599491, longitude negative 81.347763, and at the right time, 1157, ooh, it's early, 1157 on January 13th, 2019. And if you've crossed the line of faith, God is calling you back into the darkness, back into the brokenness of humanity. And if you have not crossed the line of faith, but you know that is where you want to be, Jesus wants to make you the right person. He is inviting you into a believing, trusting, faithful faith. Want to be the right person, then tell Jesus that. Tell him that you want to give your life to him. Let's pray. Jesus, would you lead us? Would you lead us across the line of salvation if we're not there yet? so that we can experience a real faith that leads to real life. And Lord, for those that have said yes to you, they believe you, and they trust you, and they faithfully follow you, Lord, would you show us again the importance of a life that's no longer for ourselves. Lord, would you show us the importance of entering back into the darkness and brokenness of humanity to show desperate people that You are for them and You are with them. Lord, make this a week where we are dangerous to evil, brokenness, and despair. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening today. Subscribe to the podcast now, and for more info including sermon outlines, visit our website at www.kurtlandchristian.org.